Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Friday. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast. Got a fr- great Friday conversation for you on today's pod. Old radio pal Michael Borky checks in to talk a wide-ranging number of topics, really just a discussion of the state of Ole Miss, the state of college football, and everything that's unfolded in the week uh, that's been since the Sugar Bowl. We didn't have a midweek show for you, some scheduling uh, some scheduling things and a story I'm working on on the side. So uh, we'll be back to normal schedule next week. We want to get Borky on, talk about the transfer portal, how this thing can be managed, uh, how it might be managed, NIL, and then uh, Ole Miss's off-season turnover and a lot of different stuff. And a little bit of Mississippi State at the end, too, because I think it's always interesting to kind of compare and contrast where the two programs are at the end of each season. So great conversation. Enjoyed catching up with Borky. I think you guys will thoroughly enjoy it. But before we get to that, find you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website the inventors of the Skybox matrix interval and advanced modeling mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the handicapping industry. Skybox went 28-15 and 15 in college basketball last week. That is up 38.3 units for those of you keeping score at home. So they made a bunch of you rich. NFL playoffs rolling around, college basketball getting into conference play, by far their best model is college hoops. That is their, uh, their words, not mine. You need to take advantage of Skybox. If you are into the wagering industry, it will continuously print you money, and they're the most consistent way to lead you to profit. You're not going to ever make money in the long run going off your own own knowledge and own picks. Skybox is a proven model that will help you continue to cash out. You don't want to meet the, the have the man texting you on Sunday night, Monday morning, got the scaries asking where the money is. You need to be texting him, wondering where your supplemental supplemental income is coming from. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. They have daily free plays on the site right now, skyboxsportspicks.com slash free plays. And on top of that, use the free plays and go find a picks package of your own that's going to fit your price range month-long, season-long. The way Skybox is going, you'll be rich if you just ride with them throughout the year. But uh, if you're looking for something a little more affordable, they're going to have something that fits. You need to check these guys out. They're the best in the industry. Use the promo code RIPPY for 20% off any purchase. Check them out. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go start 2022 off right and see Greg at LB's. Absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. If you're a RIPPY Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week and discounted meats. Let you decide which one of those is better. Right now, our subscribers are getting a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Just show proof of subscription when you go in, and Greg will hook you up. It's absolutely the best place. Go find your own favorites, uh, stuffed mushrooms, sausages, seafood, all kinds of great stuff, bacon wrap, fillets. I like the ribeye uh, rib sausage myself, and fillet burgers are always an incredible, uh, incredible way to go as well. But go find all of your favorite things at LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. All right, here is Michael Borky. All right, we now welcome on Super Talks Michael Borky. You can catch him on Sports Talk Mississippi 3 to 6 p.m. every day, the do-it-all man for that radio show. Also, he's got a YouTube show uh, in the morning that you should check out. You were our – I was about to say Mississippi State correspondent, but what I meant is like the state of Mississippi correspondent. I feel like we kind of touched hey. halfway through the year, quarter through the year. Now the season's over, and as we transition closer to – 
well, we're in basketball season, but with the way basketball yeah. season is going, it's yeah. five weeks till baseball. Although that's not fair. State's got a decent team. It seems like if they, they do. Over, yeah, if they could overcome whatever Howland calls that offensive scheme or whatever the hell that is that was probably left in uh, 2006. But uh, anyway, how are you, man? Lot to, uh, it's like the offseason, but a lot to talk about. Yeah, th- this is the best content time. Hey, sometimes you get in the monotony of the season, and it's just kind of routine, right? It's the same thing. Oh, they got a game Saturday. Let's talk about the game Saturday. Now it's like Caleb Williams, transfer portal. Where's Lane Kiffin? Is he in the Bahamas? Is he not in the Bahamas? Why do you care if he's in the Bahamas? <laughs> <laughs> and NFL playoffs and, uh, you know, another signing day coming up and transfer portal. And is the transfer portal bad for college football? Yes, no. Is uh, NIL bad for college football? Yes, no. Is Alabama being in the national championship again bad for college football? Yes, no. And it's like this, this is more fun to have your takes, you know? During the season, it's just pretty cut and dry, but now it's like I can just let stuff fly, and it, it doesn't matter, you know? You loosely just hammered this entire show rundown. Not Let's that do I it. have any show notes, but, like, we have, like, nine different things to discuss, which I figured was a perfect time to get you on because it's not like – you're right, it is from a content perspective, it is the best time of the year. Like, other than the national signing period, this, the website that this podcast is associated with, this is how they make their money get the people to sign up, get every rumor. And not that Neil and Chase post every rumor. Like, they're, they're responsible, but I, they post what they're hearing. But, like, this is tailor-made for this age, this age and the internet and the subscription sites and all of that. Could it's you imagine if Neil and Chase posted everything that they heard on that message board? They would be responsible <laughs> for people jumping off bridges and stuff. I've talked to, I, I talked to Chase about that about once a week. It's like, can you post this? No, I don't think so. Um but what's interesting is is now working on the outside of all this whole deal. So I went to the Sugar Bowl. Had a great time. We actually made a week out of it. I did five nights in New Orleans. That was probably yeah. You went to a Pell's game and watched a pretty sweet comeback. I was jealous. Yeah, we told the story on the pod of MC and I just looking like total assholes in these very nice seats. Where I was like, what in the world is happening right now? I had a good time with that. Five nights in New Orleans, probably slightly too much, but we had a good time with it. But point being. I came back and I took the end of the year off from uh, my job. And so I have had a lot to catch up on with like the whole nine to five thing. So I have been, I wouldn't call it out of the loop. I haven't written a newsletter this week. I haven't been like on the kind of forefront of everything that's going on and it's moved so fast. So it's interesting to kind of like plug back in. I spent about an hour for this show going back through everything. And I was like, damn, three days ago, like people are talking about the sugar bowl and now it's Caleb Williams and Zach Evans. Like, from a content perspective, it's so insane because there's no game to react to. It's just the latest thing someone's hearing. And I don't know if it's necessarily, like, great for the sport, but it is entertaining. Yeah, that, that's the debate, right? Is, is this good for college football? Is this not good for college football? And first of all, just this random thought that I want to throw out there, Zach Evans confirmed it today. You mentioned state basketball. We don't have to talk about state basketball today. But they are a prime example, and Zach Evans is a very good example, and I'm sure we'll see more, of in the transfer portal era, finishing second in recruiting, not necessarily bad anymore. Would you rather sign the kid? Yeah. Are kids that sign with schools more likely to stay at that school for their entire eligibility? Well, of course they are. But Ole Miss was in it on Zach Evans until the end. And even though they didn't win on Zach Evans, they get, if he's healthy and eligible, probably just one year if he matches his potential, which is, I mean, in a different galaxy, through the roof and then some. 
Uh, but they get Zach Evans for his draft year, basically, to replace two guys that went to the draft. Ole Miss didn't win the recruiting battle, but yet they got the kid anyway. Mississippi State has like five guys on that roster that they were in on until the very end, didn't get, and they transferred to Starkville anyway. So finishing second in recruiting is not the end of the world anymore. Is it not good? Well, of course not, again, because guys will likely stay where they are. But if they choose to look elsewhere and you had that relationship and it was always a good one, where do you think they're going to turn first? It's an interesting thing happening here. It's the same parallel, like this whole one-time transfer and then NIL. It's basically just turned the sport into what college basketball became you know, with the whole grad transfer thing about a half decade ago, it's basically like, you know, five years behind what college basketball has become to where you're just going to have rosters every year now to where it's like, where, where was that guy from last year? I mean, look at Ole Miss's roster other than Jarkel Joyner and Austin Crowley. It's like no one else that matters is like, wasn't on the roster last year. And I'm sure, I guess Matthew Morrell, but you get my point. They got eight dudes on there that are new. And it's like, it's kind of become the norm. And I think people eventually get used to it in college football. But that's definitely where it's headed. And I think it's, it's harder to keep up with, one, because it's more dudes and more positions. Two, you know, people care about college football more, in, particularly in the South. So, like, imagine if, like, if we'd have had this transfer, one-time transfer thing, grad transfer thing happen in college basketball, but that was the sport everyone cared about, people would have lost their minds because you're focusing in on four or five kids, you know, yeah. in a given year. But anyway, that's neither here or there. I don't even know where to start. Let's actually rewind a little bit and go back towards the end of each Ole Miss and Mississippi State season. We don't really need to rehash the Sugar Bowl. Like, it sucked, right? It was a very unceremonious ending to a team that was really fun. But it, I think it's important to kind of go back to the point to where, like, what's next? And I think that's important for both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Like, from the time Ole Miss left – the field in New Orleans and really before that because it was brewing the week of with the hire of Charlie Weiss Jr. and all of that the feeling the entire week was like okay they're going to enjoy this this is going to be fun Saturday night but like what's next because things are going to look different and then as soon as the game ended you know it happened rapid fire right like DJ Durkin is gone I haven't even we didn't do a midweek show so I haven't done a podcast since DJ Durkin left and then you know, you've got Kevin Smith rumored to maybe be going to Miami. Like, it all happened so fast. It's, it's, amazing. Uh, it's amazing how quickly that 2021, I guess, magic of that season ended because it, you know, felt like two hours after that game ended. It was, what are they going to look like in 2022? Yeah, it's such an interesting situation here because I'm not comparing Lane Kiffin to Ed Ordron or Nick Saban uh, at all. But – Whatever the reasons are for Jeff Lebby and Wilson Love and DJ Durkin leaving Ole Miss, I have heard the phrase lateral move too much. You, you can question whether or not it's a sign for things being iffy with Kiffin, and, and I would hear you questioning that because Lane Kiffin is the guy that gave DJ Durkin his first shot after when he was the head coach at a football program, a player died. Was he there? Was he responsible? No, I mean, he was cleared at all levels, despite what some blue checkmark writers want to, to write about him. But still, Lane Kiffin was the guy that gave him that first shot. And he left at his first opportunity. Wilson Love has been a Kiffin guy, and he left. Lebby's a different story, and I'm sure you've talked about it on this podcast before. But I, I hear people, though, say lateral move. And yes, he has the same title, DJ Durkin, 
at Texas A&M as he did Ole Miss. But that would be like saying that if I took the job at WFAN in New York City with my identical title, it was a lateral move for me professionally. But that would be a massive upgrade. It's the fan. It's the original sports talk station. Right now, Texas A&M is not that in college football, but it's more money. It's better players. It's an easier path to getting better players. So it's not a lateral move for DJ Durkin to go to Texas A&M. It's not. It's not a lateral move. It's not a lateral move for Wilson Love to take the strength and conditioning coach job at Oregon as opposed to Ole Miss. Ole Miss and Keith Carter are doing a great job. The renderings look beautiful. They're going to work on the Manning Center right away. The fundraising's great. Everything's good. But that's years away. What Oregon has right now is better now than what Ole Miss will have when the facility project is done. The resources he'll have there are insane. And then I think Jeff Levy's a huge upgrade. Rippy, tell me if I'm crazy. Because some people say that, oh, Levy was the play caller and it was his offense and all that stuff. If that was the case, then why when Ole Miss is on offense is Lane Kiffin holding a play sheet and talking into his headset? If he's not involved in the play calling and the decision-making on offense, what's in his hand and who's he talking to? Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but when people, people are, oh, it's a huge loss. They're going to miss Levy so much because he was the play caller. He was, but what was Kiffin doing then if it was Levy's show and he was just there to be there? That's not how it went down. You can't convince me otherwise because I saw Kiffin involved in play calling unless that's a Waffle House menu and he's talking to his girlfriend during the game on the headset. Yeah, so it's interesting because I think it, it's complicated because I think Levy did have autonomy of the offense. I think Levy was the guy that drew – well, actually, I know this for pretty much a fact. Levy was the guy that went into this – he, he made the script. He had the mm. menu of the 10 to 15 scripted plays or whatever, and he was the predominant play caller. I think Kiffin had a decent bit of game day influence in it as well just from being an offensive guy and that being part of it, I think the whole Levy thing was Lane Kiffin thinking or feeling that he had too much to do running an SEC program to be, because it's a lot of responsibility to be the primary play caller and be the head coach of anything, particularly a college yeah. program. It's what makes Sean Payton such an absolute freak and anyone else that calls plays in the NFL that's head coach. It's hard to do. I think there was collaboration. I, 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 I would a hundred percent believe that, but like, I do think Levy had some autonomy. I think he was the pro- predominant play caller, but it's interesting. Well, Let's just go through the hires. Like, that's probably a good right. point. Well, doing Let's go through the hires. We'll start with I got, Levy. So, I got to finish that long-winded thought. Yeah, go ahead. So, <laughs> so long story short, uh, Levy went to Oklahoma because he actually will have full autonomy this time. Yeah, he and he's will. also not working with the offensive guy. Like, I don't think perception right. was the biggest thing, but, like, he's not going to hear from the headset as nearly as much, if hardly at all, from – Brent Venables is the point, I think. Right. And so regardless of how it happened, I think, especially going into the season, the talking point was this is Jeff Levy's last season at Ole Miss unless he is named the head coach. That is what everybody said going into the season. And then when it happens, people kind of panic. One way or the other, whether it's a sign of Kiffin being difficult to work for or not, either way, this does happen to great, not great programs. This happens after great seasons to other programs. Ed Orgeron had historically great season, and his program got decimated by outside hires. Nick Saban has to replace staff all the time. He is constantly turning over staff all the time. And even Dabo Sweeney, who is the pioneer of uh, keeping a staff together, 
lost a bunch of guys this offseason. It's going, it was going to happen to Lane Kiffin. Would you prefer it not be the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and strength and conditioning coach all at the same time? Well, absolutely. But this was always going to happen one way or another. He was going to lose staff members. What will determine Lane Kiffin's – I mean, I think this is as pivotal of a year as he's ever had outside of his year in the NFL, which is a whole different animal, uh, for his coaching career. Because he has now proven at FAU, at Alabama, even at Tennessee and Southern Cal with those NCAA restrictions, he's a hell of a football coach. Great football coach. But we don't know if he's a builder or a sustainer or not. Nobody knows that yet. That, and that's probably why LSU didn't even go down the Lane Kiffin Road, because they don't know for sure. This is his biggest test. But for the people that are like, uh, how, how are they not building on this momentum? And, and why are staff members leaving and all that stuff? I, I would like to point you to other examples in college football where better jobs saw coaching staff, massive coaching staff turnover after great seasons or even just after every season in Alabama's case, this is what's going to happen to you regardless. And so can he replace good with good? We're about to find out. But the panic that Durkin took a better job and that Levy took the Oklahoma job and Wilson Love left, I didn't think was really rooted in reality, especially if you hire well. And for what it's worth, apparently Nick Savage is a, a great SNC coach. Wilson Love was great. Apparently he got replaced by a great one. And we'll see if it turns into a, a continuation or improvement or failure. But to freak out about this, I think, is not rooted in reality. The staff was not going to stay intact after this season. There was a 0% chance that was happening. Yeah, you're right on that. And there's a lot to get to when it comes to that because I think it's a little bit of both because I was talking to someone that worked or works around there the other day. And it's, it's natural, right? I think the thing that shocked people about the Levy thing is that it wasn't a head coaching gig. I think everyone just kind of had penciled in, okay, G5 head coaching gig. Like that would make sense. And then he takes another offensive coordinator job where he took it like in the least attractive Oklahoma moment of the last, you know, 25 years. You know what I mean? They're still a great program or whatever, but they kind of got ghosted by uh, very good looking Lincoln Riley, even if you want to say literally or figuratively, and he heads to the West Coast. And so I think that in the combination of, I think most people probably thought they were going to keep Durkin, and then that happened out of nowhere. You know, Neil had the nugget on the board last week, and I don't remember if he reported it or not, whatever, but like it happened very quickly. And you can explain all of them away, right? Wilson Love. I mean, shit, look at the Nike facilities and look at what they're paying that guy. Uh, excuse me, Jeff Levy. Going back to work for his alma mater, it's completely his side of the ball. It's the whole, like, this is your half of the football and this one's mine type of thing. You don't get those opportunities a ton as the game continues to more up, move in an offensive direction. And then DJ Durkin, like, it's Texas A&M. Like, they're going to pay more money and you're going to be able to They work. just signed the best recruiting class in history, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. It's somewhere up to it. Someone tops that every year. Every two years, Rivals – or excuse me, 247 or ESPN puts out something that it's like, these. this has the most five stars yeah. ever. I'm like, well, where, where was that – what happened in 2019? Which one of those had the most five stars there? Anyway, you get the point. You can explain all of it away. But I think the Durkin one was probably the most surprising one, don't you think? I think – because of his circumstances coming in, I had a, a relatively inebriated man on New Year's Eve behind me at a bar. We were talking about it. And he was like, what do you know about the Durkin thing? I was like, look, I'm not a reporter, but like, I think he's probably going to A&M. It seemed, just, it, it seemed to feel that way. And he was like, well, 
can Ole Miss start putting out feelers reminding folks what he did at Maryland? I was like, honestly, that's kind of a creative strategy, pal. I wouldn't recommend it, but and not to make light of a very serious situation, but given what it where he'd come from, you figure he'd and everything that had happened before, you figure he'd be there a year or two, as you mentioned, as Kiffin kind of gave him a chance. He doesn't necessarily owe Lane Kiffin anything, but like you it just felt like he would be there another year. I didn't figure Durkin was going to leave until that happened, what? you know, five days ago. So I think that was a bit of a shocker. But at the other the other side of this coin is if Lane was look, make we, we can all make fun of Dabo Sweeney all we want to. He fosters a very pleasant work environment. His ability to keep assistance in this modern day and age of college football is kind of what Steve Spurrier did 15 years ago. I, for whatever reason, I watched an SEC network doc the other night of Steve Spurrier where they were the week before Florida, Georgia, he took his assistants down to the beach with all of their families. And he had them all in the uh, – he had them all, like, floating out in the ocean. And he, he goes, I think Georgia's coaches are floating in the ocean right now. And, like, fosters a very family-like environment. And I guess I say all of that to say, if they just absolutely adored working for Kiffin, could you have kept two of the three? Yeah, probably, with Lebby being the one that didn't happen. But that's not really how Lane operates. I mean, you see it just from a personality standpoint – everything feels like a bit of an arranged marriage. Like, name the coordinator hired that Lane would absolutely vibe with. I mean, it could be that actor from A Beautiful Mind or whatever the story's based off. Like, Maybe Weiss that, Jr. because Weiss Jr. is a damn teenager. Yeah, exactly. But he clearly <laughs> thinks a ton of Charlie Weiss Jr. And I actually have a story coming out later in the week. I talked to a few folks that worked at Notre Dame. I'll tease this. Uh, while Charlie Weiss was in the building all the time, I talked to John Latina and I talked to uh, – Frank Verducci, who was the offensive coordinator for Weiss back then. Do you what know a name. No. Tom Verducci? Yeah. I was, uh, that blew my mind when I made that connection with him on the phone earlier today. Anyway, that'll be on Rebel Growth later this week. But like, the kid, whatever you want to think about his USF time, he's very highly thought of. Nick Saban gave him his first job, and Kiffin clearly covets him. And so, I guess I say all that to say, change was coming, but, like, it, I guess people want continuity, and that's just not where this sport is going. And – and you, you know, got a little bit of it with the D.C. hire anyway, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Yes, exactly. I think that's important. I don't think that's the worst move in the world by, by any stretch. Uh, I actually kind of like that for Ole Miss, uh, particularly if you can move Watson. Uh, I don't know what role they'll move Watson in, but keeping him on the recruiting staff I think is vitally important well. And I think if, if Partridge didn't get that job, I don't think Watson would be there, and I think that would be a kind of a double whammy as far as a loss for Ole Miss. But anyway – it's just kind of the nature of the sport at this at this juncture, and people need to get used to it. Um, let's just say Lane Kiffin's here for five years. I don't necessarily see that being the case, but if you gave me an over under three three and a half more offense or defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators, either one, I'd probably go over. Like I think it's just the way this is going to happen, and I think there's still the shock value of it. It's the same way still people get worked up about Snoop Connor leaving, Jaron Ely leaving, Bryce Ramsey hitting the portal, like. This is the new normal and get used to it. With that said, Ole Miss was on the heavy end of turnover, for sure, and when you're gauging it across the SEC. For sure. And, and all that matters is how you replace it. And so far – and I've seen people say that – batting average. That's the difference between him and an Ed Orgeron. Yeah. I mean, what about the way he has built his staff? And then he had a good bit of staff turnover last year. What was it, four assistants? Four of the ten? Yeah. Right? Offensive line, defensive line. Uh, special teams and tight ends, right? 
Yes. And then the offensive line was in that weird time period. In the, in the spring. And, and replaced him with a guy that nobody's heard of, a young guy. And, yes, the offensive line got absolutely smoked in the Sugar Bowl. But you, you're going to tell me that that position group hasn't been recruited well and didn't perform well this year? I would disagree with you if, if you would say that. But um, all, all that matters now is how you replace. And, I, I mean – I heard some negative reaction to Charlie Weiss Jr., but the last time they worked together, if you're an optimist, the last time they worked together, they had a top 15 scoring offense in college football. That was 2019 FAU. And he went to USF, and it didn't go as well. But the last time the two of those guys worked together, something worked. Something clicked. And I don't think the Weiss Jr. hire was a – he went through his candidate list, hired nobody, and was like, well, shit, got to go get Charlie, I guess. I think he was not the first on his list, probably not the second. But it's not like he got said no to a billion times before he settled with Weiss Jr. I think he probably likes probably. him. Probably third between – Maybe guy, guy at Tennessee, Kendall Bryles, maybe another whose name I, I didn't hear or see reported anywhere. This program is five years removed from hiring Wes McGriff and Phil Longo. Like, they, yeah, probably chill out a bit. Like, you know what I mean? If like, if you're, not you, but like, if you're worked up about like who the and Charlie Weiss and the USF offense is sucking, like, you could have had Boots Longo and Wes McGriff again. Right. Almost made Wesley McGriff seven figures for whatever that was in 2018. Like, right. And for whatever it's worth, and you would expect this from all the coaches, but apparently Weiss Jr. is is a film nut and has already been. Like he's like a 12, 14 hour day kind of guy. And he's already been that since he's been hired. Oh, dude, it's, it's nuts. And I don't want to give away too much of this story, but there's three or four nuggets from those guys that worked on that Notre Dame staff. And two of the guys I talked to actually worked with him when Weiss, Weiss was a uh, McIlwain's OC at Florida in 2011. I think wild times in college football. I, if you told me Charlie Weiss was an SEC OC senior, that is in 2011, I'd have been like, no, nah, that didn't sound right. But anyway, the stories that some of them had of, of Weiss Jr. and kind of putting the things together X's and O's is, is relatively remarkable. And one of the things that uh, Verducci like, said at the end, he was like, look, like whatever you want to say about this kid, at 14 years old, that kid knew he wanted to be a football coach and was watching film six hours a day when his friends were playing the Xbox. And I was like, I can't argue with that. Like, he was like, there's something to be said about having that sort of clarity at the young age about what you want to do. And that prepares you for what you want to go do. So, and having that, that kind of a grinder mentality, if that's, if what, what I was told the other day, and it wasn't like I've got sources or anything, but somebody that would know was like, yeah, the kid's a grinder. Like that's what, and he calls him a kid, which is embarrassing because he's my age. So <laughs> he's like 18 months older than me. And you mentioned right. Thornton guy. Kevin's got a bunch of uh, millennials running his staff. I can't wait for that. Take, know, right? Jake Thornton is like 27 still 28. maybe. Yeah. My guy. It's crazy, it's so but on this staff. but the Kiffin needs a personality like that to to balance him out a little bit because he's more aloof and just you know he's not going to be in the facility for sixteen hours a day. Where like Nick Saban, he's got two secretaries that one of which is always in the office twenty four hours a day. He's not that guy, so he needs guys like that on his staff. I I understand why people were disappointed with the hire, I suppose, because USF had not had a good last couple of years. But I go back to Last time they worked together, something clicked, and it was at Florida Atlantic. You have that combination of guys with the talent that they've been able to put together at Ole Miss. And when people say the portal hasn't been good to Ole Miss, I so far disagree with you. They have two plug-and-play wide receivers that, I mean, 
likely start next year, maybe. I mean, I guess, you know, one of the freshmen that they signed last year could come in and, and play well as sophomores, but you get Knox. can't start, they missed. <laughs> right. So you, you get a receiver from Missouri who's an experienced SEC receiver and not a good offense when he was there. You get a transfer from Louisville. You've got a plug-and-play safety from Auburn. And, oh, by the way, a running back that people think has the talent to be a day-one guy in the draft. The portal has been very good to you so far, and they're about to get a few more. Like, those are coming soon on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so, again, I just – I don't quite see the justification for all of the panic. I think it, it's – you can ask questions, and that's fair, but the Savage hire, I think, is a really good one. You can spin Weiss to make it sound really good if you'd like to, unless you're a pessimist, and you can spin it to make it sound bad. And the third one is Partridge. Yeah, you're right on the – I think the Savage one is good. The Weiss thing, I do, I've said from the beginning, I just throw my hands up. I don't know. He's 28 years old. Like, and I don't hold the USC stuff – or excuse me, USF stuff against him because that program seems to be, hey, we started this thing 27 – or 23 years ago. We had a nice little run. Uh, we're tired of funding this thing as much as we have. Like, that seems more of a program deal than anything else. I'm not apologizing for him. I'm going to get accused of – apologizing for him when the story comes out, I think, of it being a puff piece. But it's really not. I just wanted to get some perspective on what this guy is like. I was about to say, kid, I don't think I can do that if he's older than me. But, like, what the guy's like. So, that's an I don't know. But I'm going to give Kiffin the benefit of the doubt based off of his track record. It's the same thing with the portal. They haven't really missed on any dudes in the portal that I can think of. I mean, Jake Springer was awesome. And by missed, you mean signed and they didn't work, not they went after – yeah, and, and I guess it, I guess it's that's a little too early because like honestly, if they got a portal kid for a year and he sucked, like I would have trouble remembering it. And he was only well, but even George, uh, Rhodes, the the guard from South Carolina that didn't play much at South Carolina, and they just signed as a depth piece, and he came in and, and did well <laughs> enough for what they asked of him. Super late. Yeah, and, no, and, right. and something else that I, I feel like I'm just kind of answering fan questions that I've gotten absent of this podcast or, or concerns and stuff on our text line or whatever. When all oh, the portals gone well, they're, they're missing on all these guys in the portal. They, they have not bad a thousand, but think of portal recruiting, like regular re recruiting other teams want good players in the portal too. Lane Kiffin is not the only coach that is using it. Even the programs that don't have to use it still use it. Alabama's got a starting middle linebacker from where? Tennessee. Even Alabama is using it. So you've got these guys that are transferring for whatever reason. Other schools want them too. So, no, Ole Miss did not sign Dylan Gabriel. They didn't sign Dylan Gabriel. And, and I, I know that some people wanted them to, but after seeing some flashes from Altmaier in the Sugar Bowl and also what I'm sure we're going to get to in a little bit, the fact that they're even in the conversation for Caleb Williams is pretty impressive. But just because they didn't sign Dylan Gabriel doesn't mean the portal strategy, if you want to call it a strategy, more of a fallback plan or whatever, hasn't been a failure when you have added what you expect to be starters at multiple different positions of need so far, and you're not done. I, I just have not understood the, the portal thing's been a failure. Has it, though? I think time will tell. I think the angst comes from this being a new way of way of like doing business in college football and it seemingly being a little riskier. 
But I just wonder if we look back at this in three or four years and be like, no, why weren't we all doing this at the same time? No, I think though there's still a, you know, that people say the lifeblood of, you know, a program is recruiting. I think you still have to sign more high school, like recruit high school kids. And I think they probably dropped the ball on some high school kids in this recruiting period. I don't think anybody would dispute that. I think, you know, they should have, if they would have, if they could have, they would have gone more high school heavy. And I guess what I meant by that is if they could have, you know, name the uh, Jaheim Otis or whomever else they missed out on, if they could have gotten those three, four kids, of course they would have taken them. And so I think the yeah. angst comes from people think like people thinking there should be more hay in the barn at this point. And that's fair. They didn't do a good job in the early signing period that no we'll have to rehash that thing. That was a uh, quite the hot topic of discussion, but look, if Lane's really good at evaluating talent and getting kids out of the portal and it ends up working, like, okay, like more power to him. I don't know if it's a long-term success that like it's long-term formula for long-term success. I cannot talk today he's probably not going to be here long-term anyway. So just look at it, how you can build the best roster next year. And he's done well. well he might be now after what happened this coaching cycle. I mean, yeah, how, many be- I, I, how many more jobs are going to come open that will offer him $8 million plus a year, you know? I think that was a uh, little bit of a rude awakening for uh, Lane Kiffin himself uh, as well. But anyway, it's just fascinating. And I think we'll get more used to it. I think in two years – like, so, like, I think in two years, if they have a bad early signing period, if the early signing period is even still around then, because I think everyone's looked around and realized, hey, what the hell are we doing putting the, the signing period two weeks after, like, the coaching carousel ends? Like, how did that make any sense? It's, it's the dumbest shit ever. Peak college football. But anyway, I think if you're underwhelmed in, in high school recruiting, I think people look at it and be like, all right, well, let's see what they can do in the portal to where now it's just new and there's some panic to it. Yeah. And uh, – Let's hit a little bit of DJ Durkin because we hit it on it for a second. You can kind of explain that one away, but it is a big loss for my money. And I watched a decent bit of college football this year. I can count on one hand, how many guys I'd rather have than him as defensive quarter. I thought what he did particularly in the second half of the year was magnificent. And I think it was as simple as Jimbo Fisher coming to Oxford and being like that guy controlled the line of scrimmage, running the ball with those dudes. And we couldn't do anything passing wise, even though Calzada sucks. Like, can I have him? It's a big loss. I think they can recover from it, but, you know, I think Kiffin hit on a really, I mean, you call it damaged goods. I, again, I don't want to do the Maryland thing. Like, it makes me so no mad. Need. On the, not makes me mad. On the internet, when, like, every time Durkin gets hired, everyone's like, he should never work in college football again. A kid died under his watch. I have no counter for that. Like, okay, but if people in his industry continue to want to hire him, I'm not going to sit there the whole time and repeatedly go, he should not be hired. Well, he's getting hired. So that's not my job to say he shouldn't be hired. I'm not some like moralist, like moral guardian of the sport. If people want to hire him, cool. I'm going to analyze it for what it is from a football standpoint. Well, and this is going to sound callous too, but a lot of the people that say things like that really truly. It's for clout. They don't care. Some of them do. I'm sure some of them do. I don't mean to question the integrity of everybody that does that, but there are a lot of people that, when this comes up, they, they don't even bother looking into anything at all. They just want retweets. And what gets you retweets? This person should never be in the industry again. That gets you retweets. And that gets you pats on the back in media circles because you're so brave to call out the, the football coach. And that's where some of this comes from. You're never going to talk to or see, by the way. And would never say that to that person's face either. But anyway. Yeah, but you're right. And so, like, I don't, I don't want to get too far into that. But, like, 
I don't know. I just was reading some, some of the discourse the other day while I was at my desk and like, someone was like, he should never have worked again. Like he killed a guy. It's like, okay, that's a Trump card. I don't have anything to respond. Like, I'm not going to say. Well, and that, that's also ju- just, just using that in that terminology is also just, this is pro- this is I shouldn't even bring this up actually, but LSU just hired a coach that has something similar that happened to him in his past. Yeah, exactly. And why? So so why is the focus on one and not the other? And one's not better than the other. Like if you know, I'm running a football program. Would I have taken a chance on Durkin? Probably not. But Kiffin did. It worked out anyway. Just from like a football standpoint, it's a big loss and. You know, it's interesting. He went from – you remember that weird day after the Arkansas game where some dumb asshole put out that, like, oh, Durkin's nameplate is no longer in his office? It's like, that's not how this works. <laughs> it's for the sake of the argument, he went from the worst coach on the coaching staff to the MVP of the team. You know, the dirty little secret – or not dirty little secret. The defense carried the team the second half of the year. They were more fun to watch. And, you know, you talk about what a big loss Lebby is. Are we sure the offense sucked this last second half of the year? And yes, it did. It did. And I'll say this, and I, I, I don't. I, I always admit what I know, what I don't know. I had a guy on from Baylor, his name is Travis Roder. People who've listened to this show are probably tired of me hearing that, hearing that name because I played the interview twice because I thought it was very good. He's very good at like schematic stuff, and I would just I follow him on Twitter, and after the game. He doesn't know anything about the Ole Miss beat. He doesn't know anything about Ole Miss, like, football, the ins and outs of it, like the daily recurrence. He was, like – he was re-watching the game and just pointing out all these plays, and he had evidence to back it up with, the uh, like, the videos. It was, like, Ole Miss is not going to miss Jeff Lebby. And, look, I'm not saying I believe that, but a guy that just didn't know any better was, like, it's an upgrade by default with him leaving. I think Jeff Lebby was good. I think what he did for Matt Corral was incredible. But just from a schematic standpoint, the way it looked the second half of the year, it was interesting to see a guy who clearly knows more schematic football than me just be like, what did, What are they doing here? This doesn't make any sense. It was a lot of the way that they allowed Baylor, apparently – that Baylor was able to isolate Ole Miss's tackles and he just kind of left the tackles on an island. Again, take that for what it's worth. Anyway, that's not really the point. We keep bouncing around here. Like, that's right. I think Durkin's a bigger loss in, in a lot of ways. That guy was awesome with not a great defensive roster. In a, a scheme that I assume is really difficult to coach in the SEC. Could you – I mean, I mean, running a 3-2-6 in the SEC worked. He deserves credit. That worked. It too. Yeah, uh, so I, I'm with you. The question now is, uh, what is Chris Partridge? I mean, how involved in the current defense was he is something that I would love to, to ask and get a true answer to. How involved was he in scheme? How involved was he in play calling? How involved, how involved was he? And how comfortable are you in him calling a defense? And are you going to stick with this 3-2-6? Because it did work for you. You did it basically out of necessity, but I think as the year went on, the defensive line, especially the one defensive tackle, but even on the edges, I mean, you've got some guys coming back that really looked good by the end of the year up front. So is this a scheme that you keep? Or or do you go back to more traditional looks because you have seemingly developed some personnel, and I've heard that there's a defensive lineman that they're going to get when he enters the portal, uh, whenever that may be. Those are a bunch of questions, and we're not going to get the answers until the first game probably because I don't think we're going to see anything of value in the spring, and they shut down fall camp. So we're, we're going to have all these questions about Partridge 
And we hell, we won't even know after week one because are they going to struggle with Troy? Probably not. So, I mean, we won't know about what this is going to look like and how it's going to function for a long time. That's how this is. This sport's going to go, though. I mean, do you watch? I mean, you watch SEC basketball in November. I watch like I try to, to make it a point to try to watch like a game of each team for the most part. Look, I don't make it through all fourteen. Like I'm not hand up. I'm not watching you know a ton of Mizzou after watching a couple of their results. But like it's the same thing. You spend the first couple of games being like, all right, who's this guy? Where did he come from? I think that's going to be the case in college football. You know Alabama's going to be good. You know Georgia's going to be good. I guess you know A and M's going to have a lot of talent. And outside of that, like. I think there's going to be a lot more Ole Misses. If Arkansas goes 10-2 and two next year, and I'm just throwing out an example, this is not a prediction, like you'd be like, well, where did that come from? And then you kind of put all the pieces together starting at this time this past year, and you're like, actually, that kind of makes some sense. I think well, they're going to need somebody to play Misses. defensive back at Arkansas. Because who had Ole Miss exodus there, outside of anyway. people that covered Ole Miss saying that's the ceiling? You know what I mean? Like, no one that worked outside no. of the Ole Miss sphere was like, oh, this team could go 10-2. and two. Everyone else was shocked. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, sorry, I was talking over you there, but uh, yeah, Arkansas, if they're going to go 10 and 2, they need to find somebody to play defensive back because uh, they've lost yeah. like all of them at this point. But no, the, the volatility of the SEC moving forward, I mean, I think it's kind of exciting with the exception of Alabama because they're just destroying uh, my love for the sport. But I think going into next season, Auburn, Auburn is the worst team in the West. And they replaced Bo Nix with Zach Calzada. I would call that a downgrade. So it's a it's a it's it's even at best. I don't even know. How, I think it's a downgrade. I think you're right. You know, people love to dump on Bo Nix, but you know, for that hot week that where Bo Nix was rumored to be Ole Miss, everybody was like, we could turn him into something. Like that was all the thing on the board. So like, I agree. That seems to be – look, I thought Brian Arson did a decent job replacing Chris Peterson at Texas – Texas, Jesus, Boise State. <laughs> but, like – He just, probably would have been better at Texas than a couple of their past guys. But I think that's, a, that's also an important point to – now with the way the sport's going, isn't it important to kind of have a guy that – play the game is such a general term, but just kind of adapts with the times. That seems to be a guy who seems to be kind of stuck behind things a little bit, and I'm not sure how well that's going to turn out at a place that just – continually goes nuts by the fact that they're not Alabama, which Alabama is the greatest run in the sport. But anyway, so you lose Durkin. You know, obviously it sounds like Partridge is going to become the guy. It's gone from two days after the Sugar Bowl, you know, Snoop Connor leaves. He goes to the NFL. Uh, Jaron Neely declares for the NFL draft. You lose Bryce Ramsey. You lose Matt Corral. We could go down the list. You get the point. And then you lose Durkin on top of that. And – with the Zach Evans commitment on top of this, we'll call it smoke about Caleb Williams. If Kiffin lands him, doesn't it turn from, oh my God, who is going to play for them next year to holy shit, Kiffin pulled this off again. And it, we're talking about two players. They happen to be very important players. And by so the way, the, most important position on the field. His name's escaping me, but that, that star receiver from Oklahoma put on Twitter, if you believe what athletes put on Twitter, that he will go where Williams goes. That's what, the you, that they, they were kind of a package deal out of high school. Do you remember his name? Because I have a computer no, in front of me. No, but I know who you're talking about. Either yeah. way, so it, it wouldn't just be Williams either. Uh, no, my God, if he pulls that off, I, I was talking to somebody earlier. What would the expectation be in 2022 if they pull that off? I mean, what would it be, 9-3? and three? 
it's depending, depending on who returns for defense because not a lot. Like I mean, yeah, eight and four ish. It may be. I mean, Caleb, Caleb Williams. Now he did some freshman things, and the people I I read a USA Today column. God bless me for that. Uh, that that said. Altmeyer's performance in the Sugar Bowl, I forget here. I'll pull up the exact quote, actually, because I don't want to misquote uh, this person. Um, but it was a it was a column in the premise I agree with about Lane Kiffin enters pivotal offseason, a lot of questions about Ole Miss, whatever. Uh, this but, is the Blake Toppenmeyer column. Right, yeah. You can still be mean about it. I don't care that much. But, like, I, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. He said, quote, he flashed moments of promise, but his overall production, 15 of 28, passing with a touchdown and two interceptions, suggested that handling oh, – I can't read – suggested that handing him the reins might put Ole Miss in flimsy position next season. Caleb Williams against that same Baylor team was 9 of 18 for 142 and two interceptions. Good point. So, I mean, Caleb Williams also had some freshman things a year ago, but my gosh, his ceiling is, is unbelievably high. It's shockingly high. And, and what he would do for the expectations, that people would think the team's not going to miss a beat. Now, if they lose Chance Campbell along with Sam Williams and Jake Springer and Mark Robinson, while the defense should still be pretty damn salty next year with personnel, those are some big bodies to miss. Losing Matt Corral from a culture perspective is a big deal. Losing Drummond is a big deal. Sanders could never stay healthy. God bless that kid. I mean, his potential was so much higher uh, than his actual impact on the program. But, I mean, yeah, it it, it changes everything. And where do you want to go with this? Because I was talking to somebody earlier, and – I think your guys, I was listening to them earlier, Neil and Chase, and they're they're doing right by the fans because it still doesn't feel like it's going to happen, right? Like, if you told me to pick where Caleb Williams goes, it would not be Ole Miss, just because. We'll frame it Ole Miss versus the field. You're still probably taking the field. But I'm taking that, the field. But that's still that, – but that's out of – I'm the same way, but that's out of I don't know enough about this, and I don't right. mean that from a perspective of, like, there's people that know. I don't think any like I don't think the situation has gotten to that point. So like you no. take the field based off of where the current situation is. But, but if you think they're not in it and they're they are not trying, and, and how can I phrase this? Uh they are not competitively trying in ways that Ole Miss probably and I say Ole Miss, not the school, because they can't do it, but in ways that they've not done it before. Give the booster network. That's happening here. The NIL, deal, the NIL thing, whatever you want to call that, will probably more will come out later. It's because it's gotten together. It got one. It got together quick, and two, it's become organized quick. Because I think that's why they got the Louisville kid. You got to give them credit there. That's what you're getting at, right? That's what I'm getting at. It is they are they are. If that's what it comes down to, if that's what the choice comes down to, the the people involved in this thing and doing it that way are competitive. That's all like, you can ask for. Too. If you say it's not real, I think you're wrong. Will he end up at Ole Miss? I, I would take the field just out of an abundance of caution. It's early in the process, all that. However, Ole Miss is trying beyond just Lane Kiffin retweeting photoshops of him in Ole Miss jerseys. How's that? From uh, from the Bahamas. From the Bahamas. But it's it's interesting because. If you don't get Caleb Williams, if you're Ole Miss, 
you're back in the same boat. And I feel like people look, this is just how this is going to go. I hate doing this, like from the perspective of how the message board is going to sound every day, but people kind of revert back to the sky is falling thing. And I think just if you don't get him, the sky is not falling. I, I am not saying that he's going to be the second coming of Matt Corral, but Altmeyer in the sugar bowl, when you consider his experience level, his age, the opponent, and the, the stage that he was on, I think he flashed enough to where you do not feel desperate about the quarterback position going into 2022. You need to add another one because of numbers. But that kid can play. He can play, and he can work in the SEC, especially with a full offseason as the guy. He can work. So Caleb Williams is not, if they don't get him, they're going to intend. I don't think and being the guy will be a productive SEC quarterback and the first half of the schedule is soft as hell and, and working him in will be a pretty smooth transition. He flashed enough to where I would feel comfortable about quarterback even if they miss on Caleb Williams. Well, you went in the direction I was going to go in. The whole the, the latter part of that was the no, the sky's not falling, but it's a very unprecedented move not to sign a high school quarterback as Weldon has outlined on this show a number of different times. Like, they're going to have to get someone else, even if they don't end up with Caleb Williams and, like, Altmaier's the best option. There has to be another body in that room. There just simply has to be. With respect to my man, Kincaid Dent, Jackson Academy alum, there just has to be someone else in the room. So, but if you, you know, you kinda, you're kind of getting people excited with the whole Caleb Williams thing, and then if you're not able to land him, it's like, well, what's next? Someone uh, at the – maybe it wasn't The Athletic. I don't want to miss – actually, I don't give a shit. Someone wrote an article today about the uh, the kid at Incarnate Word um, who's – I've written about for two weeks, but his name's now escaping me. What's Cam up? Ward. Yeah, Cam Ward. Thank you. About kind of his Cinderella rise and how he's blown up as a prospect. I think Ole Miss would have a decent shot to get him. I don't know anything about that situation. I don't know anything around Cam Ward. But I think they would have a shot to get him either way. But, man, doesn't that feel like a weird consolation prize if you're, you know, quote-unquote in on Caleb Williams and then you end up with Cam Ward? And I don't even know if they'd end up with Cam Ward. It's just – it's interesting the tease of all of this versus the downside of not getting him because it's kind of – gamble is the wrong word, but it's still fairly slim odds just from a perspective of getting kids anyway. Like, I'm not saying Ole Miss has slim odds because they're Ole Miss. It's just kind of how this game is played. Like, you don't know what these kids are thinking and what they're doing. So, like, the whole putting all your eggs in the K.O. William basket, Williams basket, not that I'm suggesting that anyone is, I just think the buildup and the letdown is just going to just absolutely screw with people online. Not that that actually matters, but it's going to be kind of funny <laughs> either way. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But, but it should give people comfort that – um Ole Miss is now competitive in what they need to be competitive in in recruiting in 2022 moving forward. How, also, if, there's, if you want to spin, there's a spin. If they miss Caleb Williams, they've got some stuff figured out on how to recruit big-time players moving forward. Sure, and if you want more spin, like – one, they're gonna, I think they're going to have – maybe I'm, I'm just guessing here, but I think they're going to have to get another body for spring. But as Kiffin has pointed out multiple times, someone's going to be pissed off and lose a quarterback battle in the spring and leave. And you can capitalize on that. Now you're going to, I think, again, going to need to bring someone else in before that. But just Arkansas just had their backup hit the portal. Wow. Right. So let's just say they get Cam Ward. I don't think that's, I'm just using his example. He comes in. Well, then all of a sudden, 
I, I can't think of it. Kid at Ohio State, Jack Stroud or something. Is he already transferred? He go to Florida. Uh, Jack Miller. Uh, C.J. Stroud is the guy that's going to be second in Heisman odds going into next season. How is it only Thursday? It's been a tough week in the grease industry. Excuse me, Jack Miller or whomever else at one of these schools gets pissed off and leaves. Well, then all of a sudden you got a pretty enticing option in a short window to get them acclimated. But, you know, it's doable. You know, if Ole Miss had had an offensive line in 2010, the Masoli thing might have worked out okay. He wasn't terrible. He just might have been better off having five ghosts blocking for him because they'd had fewer holding penalties. The point being is, like, there's still options post-spring, and this is going to be a long game. And then the other aspect of it is it is hilarious to me that, you know, people keep saying this is the, honestly the main reason when I text you have it on. We talk about college football free agency. And there's probably, this is probably the best way to transition to this thing. Everyone keeps saying free agency. It's ruining the sport or free agency. This is exciting. This is not free agency. And I don't mean to be the guy that gets hung up on a term. But it's like even more insane than free agency because nothing binds these kids into anything until they set foot in a classroom. They don't sign any papers. They don't, you know, they sign scholarship papers, I guess, but that doesn't mean anything. It's not binding. They're not contractually obligated to anything, whether that's the NIL standpoint. It's wild. I mean, Dylan Gabriel was a UCLA Bruin. What was your favorite moment of the UCLA area, a Dylan Gabriel UCLA era? All of a sudden he was like, actually, my guy Levy's going to Oklahoma. I'm going to go to Oklahoma. It's, it's insane. And beyond the – we'll get back to the Zach Evans thing and what it looks like in a second, but let's just – larger discussion. Like, something has to give here, right? This cannot be the way college football operates for a decade. I'm not against it. I think all these kids should get as much money as they want. I think you should be able to transfer like any other student. But there's no way this is the way this sport operates for a decade. Do you think? No, th- there needs to be some kind of oversight. And, I mean, what's crazy about this whole thing is I'm a nobody, right? I mean, who am I? Um, I, I'm I'm almost 30, and I'm still doing, you know, what I'm doing where I'm at for a reason, right? I'm not connected or anything like that to the point that can advance my career. I could have told you five years ago with my non-sources and whatever I'm doing with my life, that NIL was coming and that free transfers were coming. I could have told you, I mean, years ago, and so could have so many other people. And yet Mark Emmert, who's making millions of dollars a year, waited until it was too late and then begs Congress to do something about it. Yeah. Which I had the, empathy for. Him begging Congress, being like, please regulate this. I had empathy for that. No one ever likes to sympathize with Mark Emmert because you just see his stupid looking face. And you're like, you know, fuck that guy. But like, I had empathy for the last part of that because he was right in that sense, but it was also his own doing, as you just outlined perfectly. He waited too late. He sat on his ass and thought they would never end. Anyway, go ahead. But, but that's it. I mean, you knew this was coming, and the fact that you did nothing about it is so pathetic and also uh, very expected from such a, an incompetent organization like them. But now they've got to do something about it. I, I, things that pop into my head are I think that there should be a transfer window. Like a, a, a trade like, deadline. You can't sign a guy right now in the NFL for 2023 or right. 2022. So, so I would do – the thing that comes – and this would help with bowl game stuff too, and I know people care about that a lot. I, I don't even want to get into that debate. But I think you should not be allowed to enter the portal until your final game has been played. and Or do it like January 5th or whatever the portal opens on january 5th 
and closes April 1st. To add to what you're talking about, though, real quick, Ja'Cory Hawkins entered the portal and then played games for Ole Miss. Like, you're, you're right. That's what it should be. Anyway, continue. I just – it's wild. But that, that's, that's what needs to be done. There needs to be some kind of oversight to where this kind of thing um, – it's regulated a little bit. I want the guys to go where they – I mean, Lane Kiffin could have picked up and taken the LSU job the next day, and, and kids signed with Ole Miss just to play for Lane Kiffin, and then he leaves and probably wouldn't take a lot of these kids with him. And why should the kid get screwed when the multimillion-dollar coach can do whatever he wants? I also think legal adults should be allowed to get paid for using their name for stuff because when I was a legal adult, I could have gotten paid and did – very small amount when I was in college while also studying. I, I got paid for work that I did while also in school. The, the legal adult football players should be allowed to do the same thing, but there needs to be some kind of oversight and regulation because th this is crazy. This is and it's, it's crazy, and you can really slow some of it down. And I think some of it's going to slow down anyway because when you see the number 3,000 players in the portal – First of all, you can cut that number by some percentage because a lot of those guys are walk-ons just maybe looking for a flyer that somebody will pick me up somewhere. And also, I, I think you're always going to get guys that get bad advice, and you can't help that. But you're going to start – I think you're going to start seeing guys like Southern Miss's backup defensive tackle who hits the portal because he thinks, coach doesn't like me and I'm going to go play somewhere. And he hits the portal and he realizes – I was Southern Miss's backup defensive tackle for a reason, and nobody wants me. And the, you're going to start seeing less and less of those guys getting screwed because an Ole Miss player that hits the portal is going to find a home because he was an SEC player for a reason. Even if he has to go play group of five ball, he'll find a home. But the backup defensive tackle at Southern Miss might get screwed. And I, I think you're going to start getting sample sizes where they're like, wait a minute, I, I don't need to go because then I'll get screwed and then I'm not getting college paid for and I can't play football. Uh, I guess I'm going to Heinz. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're exactly right about it. And like, I think there should be a window, just like, you know, free agency starts that first week of March for the NFL. And it's a cool time, right? I mean, like, I, I don't watch as much NFL Network as I should. I think they have a great product. But, like, I have NFL Network on pretty much most of the week because it's free agency week, and I kind of want to see how all this stuff plays out. But, I mean, my God, July 4th weekend for the NBA is turned into its own holiday because in a normal year, you know, absent COVID, that's when free agency starts. And, yes, is there back-channeling that gets done and you, under, you know these deals are happening beforehand? Yes, but at least it's not on the record. Like, you know, you don't have – LeBron James saying he is I am a Laker you know in May when they're in the middle of the Eastern Conference semifinals right. or something like that the example I use like Ja'Cory Hawkins entered the portal I believe that was the kid this year and then played games for Ole Miss and like I'm not saying he shouldn't be allowed to do that but like the, that just entire process is nonsensical that doesn't make any sense no and they're like from the NIL perspective that's another thing that complicates it and I think it's going to eventually hurt these kids in the long run from a market standpoint because like, the Quinn Ewers kid, however much money he took from whoever it was at uh, Ohio State, what's the return on investment with that? The kid never played a snap and is now back in Texas and good on him for getting the money because these kids have gotten exploited for so long. I, it's almost tiresome to have to qualify everything with that, but you get my point. Like At the same time, that's going to hurt them in the long run because eventually these rich dudes, they didn't get rich by spending their money stupidly. They're going to be like, 
the hell with this? I don't know if you're going to be here in six months. They're going to have to be some sort of structure in how all this is regulated. I like your idea of a transfer window, just like a signing window. You know, uh, what's his face? Um, the kid from Jaheim Otis, he couldn't sign with Alabama in May. There's a, probably a reason for that. I'm not sure it makes any sense with the way the signing periods are structured, but like there has to be some structure to this. And, you know, you call it all these people that were against it kept saying, well, it's going to turn into the Wild West. Well, pat on the back to them because they were right. I'm not sure that's necessarily what they thought we, like they were saying. Like, I don't think that meant what they thought, but it is the Wild West times a thousand. It's, it's honestly exhausting to keep up with. Like, I, 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 I was tell, that was, goes back to my example of, you know, I'm out of this full time now. I was working, I worked pretty late Monday night and Tuesday night trying to get some stuff done. And then all of a sudden I kind of like look up and had to catch up with who left and who didn't in a given day in January. It's just, it's insane. There, there needs to be some sort of organization, but you mentioned Mark Emmert's got to do something. They're powerless now. So it's going to be someone else. Like who, there's no way the NCAA is regulating this, right? Maybe I'm naive. It, it can't be the, I mean, who's doing it? Is it going to be Congress? Because they can't get their own shit together. There, there is no group more incompetent in the country or in the world than the United States Congress, I swear. I, I mean, asking them to regulate college sports is such a stupid thing to do, considering how they handle stuff that they're supposed to be able to do, and, and they can't do it. Um, I, I think also some of the NIL stuff, I, I think, and again, I could be wrong. I think it's going to self-regulate because Quinn of yours is a great example. Andy Staples says, and he's right, that 18-year-old kids are really bad investments because you don't know if they're going to work out. There's a reason you sign 25 a year and you have an 85 scholarship limit because 15 are leaving your program on average every year. These kids don't work out. 50% of five stars get drafted by the NFL. That's the highest rate of any recruit. It's only half of them. So even, even the, the elite high school recruits, only half of them get drafted by the NFL. So I think when you have these local car dealerships that are giving $400,000 to an 18-year-old high school player just to see him not play at Ohio State and leave, the next time that guy's going to be asked to give that kind of a deal to an 18-year-old, he's going to say, no, I'll give it to the current quarterback once he starts producing. But I'm not giving it to this kid from Texas again. I'm not doing that shit because he's going to come here, not play, and then go back to Texas with my money. No thanks. I'll wait. I think some of that's going to start happening too in terms of the sponsorships. Now, you've got these funds and all that, which might be the best path moving forward. This whole thing might self-regulate because that's the safest investment for the people that just want to give money to players and not get a return on their investment. The vast majority of people I've talked to don't give a damn about a player endorsing their business. They just want to give kids money. Like, please come to Ole Miss. Here's $1,000. So that seems safer when you put the money in, in, in a fund or whatever and it gets distributed to the football team. The industry might regulate itself because I don't think Quinn Ewers is going to continue to happen over and over and over again because these rich guys are going to get burned and they're going to think, what the hell am I doing this for? And I know it already happens in recruiting, but not to the volume of Quinn Ewers. Not that kind of money. That hadn't happened. I mean, you hear rumors about N'Kobe Dean. They're not anywhere close to what Ewers got to go to Ohio State. So it might, in a way, regulate itself. You're right, though. Weldon said something on the podcast the other day. Uh, I, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. But he's like, there might be a world where we just get back in five years and we're just exactly 
to where we are at, like before, it's just slightly more above board where all these people are giving money. They don't really care where it goes. It's just they're giving to the fund to get better players, like a la Leo Lewis. And I hate to bring up the sore <laughs> subject, but like the under the table, but it's not so under the table anymore recruiting as opposed to, you know, Quinn Ewers, whoever the hell he signed with and all that, having a completely above board, highly publicized deal of X amount of money. And then it just completely not paying off because it's like, all right, this kid never played it down here. It's, it's fascinating to watch, uh, to watch play out. But I guarantee, you know, these coaches are paid well, and I'm never going to have a ton of sympathy for college football coaches. But, you know, on the scale of Dabo to, hell yeah, I love the portal, like I imagine some of these coaches are like, gosh, damn, this is a headache. I mean, Kiffin got a five-star kid while he's in the Bahamas. I don't know what Kiffin's doing. It looked like he caught a very nice fish today because he did a whole little Hugh Freeze thing. But like, how much time on Kiffin's vacation do you think he spent on the phone today trying to make sure that kid didn't flake again? You know what I mean? Like, I imagine oh, a, lot. a gigantic headache twenty-four-seven because again, there's no window, there's no anything. It just is what it is. Like twenty-four-seven, three sixty-five. Like again. All good things without regulation turn into bad things without consequence, like, even if it's an unintended consequence. I just firmly believe that. And eventually someone's going to have – someone with some balls, whether that's you know, a person or an organization, is going to have to step up and be like, look, this is the way we're going to do it. This is why we're going to do it because this is absolute madness. And I'm not – that makes you sound anti-player and all that. I'm not. I'm just anti-whatever the hell this is because this kind of sucks to follow. It does. It, and – I'm with you. Like, I, I support player freedom. I, I don't sympathize. I don't sympathize with Lane Kiffin at all because I would love to be able to just go to the Bahamas whenever I feel like and go fishing. That would be great. I would love $7.5 million base a year. That would be great. I have no sympathy for him whatsoever, but it, it can just affect the overall um, – how, how do I put it? the feeling that fans have towards the sport do i think it's ruining college football no because i mean it sucks for college hoops it sucks for hoops for sure but i mean like when people say it's ruining college football i i still watch football every saturday and enjoy the hell out of it i went to one old miss game this year and did it not in a media capacity because I, I like to drink beer and continue to drink beer while watching football you know i i enjoy that more so i got to do the grove thing and and see friends and the team played and the band played and fireworks and all that shit everything happened it was still football season and it was still a fun one the playoff sucks the the semifinals in college football are the worst of college football that's the worst product they have every regular season weekend though was great i enjoyed it so is this ruining it for me no but does it make me does it is it kind of exhausting and, and difficult to follow yeah kind of it it does muddy the water a little bit. And it's kind of why I like the NFL so much because it's straightforward. It's, they, ha they have a cap. You can spend this much money, and that's it. And you can do it in this window, and the draft is on this day, and you can take this many players, and here's when you can trade them. Here's when camp starts. Here's when the seasons are. And it is all structured and cut into pieces that you can follow closely, and it's fair for everyone. That's so I'm I'm the more this happens in college football, I'm still going to love it and still going to go and it's still going to exist. But the more I'm going to gravitate towards being more interested in the one with better structure. And that's the NFL.
already went that way working in it. Like, the, it's just like, the, it's entertaining, but I was like, damn, this sport's stupid. Like, the NFL is so much a better product. And I know people listening to this probably don't want to like, hear that, but I, I'm kind of that same way. But I just wonder if it drives some more of the casuals that way, you know, if they can get past, you know, the whole Kaepernick thing in 10 years or something like that. But, like, I just wonder if the casual fan eventually is like, all right, well, this is just utter chaos. Like, the NFL at least makes a little more sense because I think that's what we're bordering on. None of this shit makes any sense. And, you know, that's probably that the on the field product plays into it as well. College football in the regular season, awesome. It's so exciting. It's fun going to tailgates. It's fun piling in the stadiums. You get great pageantry. You get great games because there's a ton of them. And then you get to where there's four teams left and the games suck. And so I may, I could be 100% wrong on this. I'm not going to say that I, my take on this is the best, but the whole anti-expansion deal to where you have blowouts in the four-team playoff and everyone's like, you really want more of this? Why do we want more of these games? Well, one, you're going to make more money, which is good for everyone. And two, I think there's a better chance for better games. Like, I would have Alabama and Georgia wouldn't have played in the first weekend. Baylor, whoever, and whatever. Is Oklahoma State winning the national title? No, but the Washington Redskins weren't winning the national weren't winning the Super Bowl last year. But Taylor Heineke kind of fooling around and screwing with the Bucks for a little bit when the Bucks had to go there because of the weird way the playoff format works was entertaining as hell last year. It's not really the point. It's like the whole time we spend this whole thing doing like we have to make the product better, but also we don't want more games because the 14 product sucks. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think more games would make for a better product because even if Alabama's at home, winning three games to get to the ultimate destination as a, or four games as opposed to two is still harder to do even though you're Alabama because if that Auburn kid learns how to fall on his ass, they're probably not there in the first place. You just leave more room for mistakes. So like I think there should there should be expansion on top of it, but – I'm fully in the camp of dumping on the playoff. This sucks. And I don't know about you. Are you excited about Georgia, Alabama? I'm not. I'm going to watch it. It'll be compelling. But this, like, I'm not pumped about this. Not even a little. Seven? Okay, cool. I'll turn it on. But, eh. They used to make a day of it. Like, almost like the Super Bowl. But it's just, I'm not there. And, yeah, and the thing about expansion, well, these teams are going to dominate anyway. Not the first weekend. Because they won't be in it. The most dominating teams won't even be there. The Rose Bowl that just happened would be with playoff stakes on it. But more importantly, this season, the Ole Miss-Texas A&M game would have been to maintain your spot in the playoffs. And that will enhance everything about the sport. Because I'm, I'm an adopted Saints fan. I adopted them when I moved to Jackson, and I've been all in ever since because I figured I can't afford any high-level cable package, so that's <laughs> the only team I can watch on Sundays. Might as well be a fan. Why not? And I've been in ever since. We got a game on Sunday uh, against Atlanta. So it's a rivalry game anyway in Atlanta. And if they win and the Rams beat San Francisco, the Saints make the playoffs. Now, is this Saints team going to win a Super Bowl? Hell Hell no. Not even close. But this Sunday, I'm going to have two TVs up, one with my team, one with the team I couldn't care less about, hoping they win. And if, and if we make the playoffs, I'm going to lose it because of all the adversity that faced all year. I mean, this team has no business being a playoff team. They're not going to win the Super Bowl. But their final game of the season matters. Last Sunday mattered because if they won these two games, they're making the playoff. And that enhances my experience as a fan because if the playoffs weren't on the line, I'd turn it on and I'd watch it. But it's not drawing me in. 
like I will be drawn in on Sunday afternoon. You're dead on. Imagine, you know, Weldon is big in the ga- these games are meaningless crowd, and I think that drives a little bit of our listenership the wrong way. Not that that really matters, not a huge deal, but, like, he's always like, these games are utterly meaningless. Ole Miss A&M is meaningless. The Sugar Bowl is meaningless. And I kind of temper that a little bit. The Sugar Bowl is not totally meaningless. But, you know, I, I'd ask you out there if you're listening, if you're an Ole Miss fan and you went to the Sugar Bowl and you had fun, imagine that game was of consequence on the season's future. Was this Ole Miss team ever going to win a national title? Of course not. They just don't have the horses. But let them get hot and win the Baylor game, and maybe you upset someone, and all of a sudden you're one of the final four teams. Like, imagine if the Sugar Bowl counted for something in terms of you being able to survive. There's a certain element of survive in advance. If you play a football game for the right to play the next week, that is compelling as shit no matter how bad your team is, right? Because if the Saints make the playoffs, like you're saying, I don't know who they'd play. They'd probably lose. But if you win, all of a sudden you're two wins away from the Super Bowl. It's not going to happen, but you can at least have the hope and the thought and all of that. And I just think that's part of what this sport is missing because you're only getting four seats at the table. And, you know, at the end of the day, the anti-expansion guy, even if you're like, I don't want more of this, well, why the hell do we have five power conferences and four teams make the playoff? Who the hell got in a room and was like, you know what, one, two, three, four, five, let's make four so that way, at least one of us gets screwed and probably two. All right, let's do this. Call ESPN sign the deal. It doesn't make any sense whether you're anti-expansion or not. The current setup is ridiculous. Well, the Pac-12 is rare. I mean, I don't know if you consider that a power of conference anymore, but uh, I'm just kidding. I'm with you, though. I'm, I'm completely with you. Not. I mean, what, the Washington? And that was Washington and Oregon. Excuse me. They got two bids. I don't want to disrespect them. Right. And Oregon did make the national championship and got beat, and that was the first one. The very first one they got. Everybody thinks Ohio State beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl and won the title that night. No, they had to go play another game yeah. and, and won that one as well. Uh, no, I'm with you. And also, I do think though that um, whenever Nick Saban blesses us with his retirement, whenever that comes, there will be a regression back to the semblance of some parity. Because think about not only how dominant they've been. But how many seasons or teams that they have stopped from having that chance to play in the playoff and be competitive because of Saban's dominance? Alabama is not, or excuse me. No, I'm saying it right. Alabama is not this dominant because of Alabama. Do they have resources? Do they have fan support? Do they have money? Do they have recruiting? Brand power? Yes, they do. The next guy will win a lot of games there. But Alabama is this dominant because of Nick Saban. And so when Nick Saban leaves, will it still be a great program? Yes, it will. But will they regress back to their high-level mean? Yeah. And will it give more access to not everybody, but more than what we currently have? Also, yes. So whenever he goes, things will feel better, at least to me, because they're in the damn thing every single year. It's not fun. It's really not fun being a fan of an SEC team right now. Ask anybody else in the SEC, not named LSU, are you having fun? Is this fun for you? Do you look forward to the season? Well, yeah, but there's Alabama. At the end of the day, we don't have a shot. We don't because we can't do what they're doing. When he's gone, some of that goes away. 
it's the other aspect of it to where it's like, well, what are you talking about? These same programs get the best players where it's like, well, Georgia still pisses down their leg because Kirby's not that great of an in-game coach. Alabama's the machine to where they don't make mistakes in-game and they get the best players. And he runs every aspect of it like in the best way possible. He is the best at pretty much every aspect of doing this that you could possibly imagine. Like he's, they don't really have a weakness and you're right. That's why it's the greatest run in college football history. But when it's gone, like, of course, Michigan didn't put up much of a fight against Georgia, but like, it's a bad example of Cincinnati. This is probably the worst year for that example. But like, could Ohio State, if they had gotten in, beaten Georgia? That's the other aspect of it. You're going to have Ohio State can get in this year with a shitload of offensive talent because they had who was their loss early in the year at this point? Oregon. Or, Oregon not, at home. Yeah. And at the end of the year, you're like, everyone, I mean, it was the how many times on a late night Pac 12 night toward in November did you see some tweet that was like, how did this team go into the horseshoe and beat Ohio State? You have a team that's allowed to recover from that. I think Ohio State's probably one of the best four or five teams in the country, but they didn't get a chance to showcase it because they lost to their rival, and then they lost a bad game early in the year, and you should say, well, they shouldn't have lost him. Yeah, no kidding, but, you know, I mean, the, the Titans lost to the Texans and are about to be the number one seed in the AFC. You're telling me they shouldn't deserve to be there? Because, like, that all of that just, just – I don't understand it. Like – Everyone's like, you don't want more of this? I would like, I would actually like Ohio State and Baylor in the playoff. Did you see Baylor's defensive line? If you catch some offensive line on a bad night, they could beat anyone as shitty as they were offensively. I, I, I would like more of that. And so I don't, that's why I don't understand the anti expansion thing. Before we end up staying here all night, Zach Evans signs with Ole Miss. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting dynamic because he's a big-time recruit. It's the first real positive news Ole Miss has had going into next year, uh, really, period. I mean, it, look, people love Quinshon Judkins, but the entire recruiting thing I wouldn't call a huge positive for no. Ole Miss. Um, and, yeah, you've hired a couple new staff members, but that's because you had some that leave. So they kind of, at best, balance each other out. Right. So on top of, like the, on top of that, so it's kind of like, okay – like they haven't had any good news. Point being, and that's a he's a he, Weldon kind of was in there when he was being recruited. Like, look, he's as talented as guy as I've ever seen. If you can kind of get him here and get him going, but he is a running back. The running back room was okay. I guess it is, adds more value that Snoop Connor has now left. But uh, like, what do you make of this? Because it feels like on its own, if it's just Zach Evans, this loses some of its luster. It feels like there needs to be a quarterback that comes with it, a la Caleb Williams, whatever. Just what do you make of this entire situation? Does he play? And when he does play, does he play? If that makes sense. Does he make it academically? And when he does make it academically, will he play the entire season? Because if that's the case on upside, on ability, he would have been the best running back in the room at Ole Miss last year. Oh, easily. Look, so, I don't know anything about a player evaluation, but this kid is as high rated as anyone at the running back position in the last half decade. But the issue is – and what I'm told – and Neil and Chase would probably tell me I'm wrong or at least correct me if I am wrong. I'm told that it's not a grades thing with him, that he – the grades are fine. The GPA is fine. It's not got to get grades up. It's got to get classes done with him. That, that could be wrong. I don't know. That's just what I'm told. Uh, but does he get eligible? And if so, whatever these rumors are about refusing to play and, and stuff like that, 
that have been said from TCU people. Is that true? Because if so, it's a good thing, but how good? If that's not true, though, and he plays every game and he's in it, a quarterback would help, but that shouldn't temper your your excitement for this team because, as you said, offense was bad a year ago at the back half of the season. Breaking in a new quarterback, running the football that well, you should return a lot of guys up front on the offensive line. You've got some receiver help. If Altmeyer happens to be the guy, even Evans by himself, doesn't change my expectations because I think they're going to be a bowl team, you know, like Liberty Bowl or something. But I guess what I'm trying to say is he alone changes the upside, would changes the ceiling or what the offense can be. Because when you watch him when he does play, holy shit. I mean, maybe the most talented running back Ole Miss has ever had. And they've had some good ones in the past. Yes, they have. And the other aspect of that is when Kiffin, you could go all the way back to Alabama or Tennessee or whoever, when he gets a good player, he features the hell out of them in a lot of creative ways. And I imagine if you're Charlie Weiss Jr. at 28 years old, you're like, okay, I could probably work with this. Again, yeah, Charlie I- Weiss Jr. has never <laughs> come anywhere close yeah. to coaching a player like this kid. I would love to. Uh, I'd love to do a side by side of whatever his running back room at U- USF was like versus Zach Evans. But anyway, the well, point- I'd even throw Parrish and, and Bullock and Judkins in there. I mean, my God, all anybody at Ole Miss's room would have been by far the best back he's ever coached until now. Exactly. So, like, anyway, the point being that when Kiffin gets someone this talented, he features him. I mean, he gave get Derrick Henry forty-seven carries in an Iron Bowl. Look what he did with Amari Cooper. Look what he – I mean, name the name the guy. He likes to feature them. Now, do they need a complement of weapons? Of course, you know, I would actually say a low-key part of this offseason, could they snag a portal tight end and low-key change their ceiling? Like, you know, people love to use the Kenny Yabo example. That was solid for about three and a half games, and then he kind of rode, uh, rode the coattails of a hot start of that 2020 season. But, like, could you sign someone unsung like that, like at the tight end position and really kind of hammer folks with something that you're not necessarily thinking about? Maybe it's one of those receivers, but like, I think they need a compliment to it. And then quarterback would be good, but like, he's going to feature him. And I'm fascinated to see how it looks because like you said, when that kid's on the field, holy cow. So we'll see how, uh, we'll see how that aspect of it turns out. But, you know, you went into the day before he recruit, he signed or committed or whatever. Who knows if he actually gets to classes thinking, like, what are they going to do? Now it's kind of like, all right, they got a little bit of momentum. How do they capitalize it from that sense? Last thing before we get out of here, I meant to talk some state earlier. You're more knowledgeable about state than me. I was at a Pelicans game during the Liberty Bowl, so I'll start with this question. What the hell? Um, I know they had some COVID issues, but what happened? Well, the COVID issues weren't on offense. Um, Here's the thing. That wasn't surprising. And and state fans will disagree because Texas Tech going into it had, what, the number 117 ranked pass defense in college football. Uh, but, But that is quintessential Mike Leach. That is what he has always been. You have one week where they're playing a good team and that offense just produces. And, and just, they, they keep, for whatever reason, they're just on that day and they can't be stopped. And then you have other weeks where they play bad teams. Louisiana Tech, 
this year's LSU, Memphis, uh, Texas Tech, and they cannot move the football. This is what they hired. This is what he's always been. To expect consistency at this point in Mike Leach's sample size, I think, is an exercise in futility. It's not going to happen, and they saw it this year. So, yeah, was it surprising that the number 117 pass defense from the Big 12 shut down that offense the way it did? Yeah, kind of, but at the same time, no, not really. And what's concerning is you will see state fans that will say, we bring everybody back on offense. We bring everybody back. Is that I think it was I think uh from whom the cowbell toll said we lose one percent of our or something like that. And that is objectively false. Uh Makai Polk is a record breaking receiver at Mississippi State in his one year. Broke broke the receiving record at Mississippi State. A thousand yard receiver. He's gone to the NFL. That's not nothing. But more importantly their first-round pick left tackle is gone. Their Alabama transfer right tackle is gone. If they can't protect, it doesn't matter how much better Will Rogers has gotten. It doesn't matter how good the receiver group is minus their best player from this year. That's what concerns me the most about that team moving forward is what we saw in the Liberty Bowl is what that offense has next year minus Makai Polk. The, that offensive line down two starters is who they are next year. And, yeah, they got a JUCO guy. I mean, may or may not work out. Apparently, they're portal fishing. They need to hit in the portal badly. But Charles Cross is not getting replaced with Charles Cross. And they hated Lashley on the other side because he was a holding machine. But that's a starter at right tackle that is now gone. That, is, that offense, but take Polk away, is what they've got going into next season. And that should scare some of those some state fans. And I think a lot of people are overlooking that fact, and they should not be. But that's Mike Leach. They'll score a bunch of points every possession against a team like Auburn. They'll go to Texas A&M and win. And then they'll lose to Memphis, and they'll struggle and have to block a last-second field goal to beat Louisiana Tech. Can't move the football at all against Ole Miss at home. Lose to a bad LSU team because you can't move the football. Lose to the Liberty Bowl against Texas Tech. That is Mike Leach. That's what he will always be. That's what he's always been. And it's going to frustrate the hell out of them because that's what they're going to be next year too. Well, I mean, shit, in particular, if he doesn't meet Ole Miss, that's just not going to fly with that fan base. Whether, you know, like, I don't know how many, if any, state people listen to this, but, like, whatever you want to say about it, that's absolutely true. And that's fascinating. I'll bring up a, a nice old radio topic from back when we were on air together. When these two got hired at the same time, basically, not exactly the same time, but in the same offseason, we both, and we had to kind of dance around it because, uh, shit, I'll say it, some asshole in Hattiesburg that runs an insurance company, congrats to you, didn't as uh, was kind of uh, pulling some strings behind the scenes. We kind of went with the whole, Kiffin could suck, but the ceiling is much higher Whereas State's never going to be awful. Now, granted, they looked awful at times in 2020. But I just thought with that higher, State very much lowered their ceiling. I think that 11-1 and Michael Crabtree year, the Gardner Minshew year, I think that can fly in the Pac-12 and the Big 12. I don't think that type of year is possible in the Southeastern Conference with that offense. Well, can State go 8-4, and 8-4, and 8-4, and three years in a row? Sure. I, I won't dispute that. 
But I just thought with that hire, they heightened their floor a bit, but lowered their ceiling, which people aren't going to like this, but it's kind of perfect Mississippi State. But you're kind of sitting back. Ole Miss had the best year they've had in forever. I don't think they're going to do it again next year. But you're sitting there thinking, well, if they get Caleb Williams, you never know to where his state's like probably winning eight games next year. Like it, Mike Leach just is what he is. And I feel like we caught shit about that at the time. But I'm going to take a victory lap. Feel free to do what you want with that. We did get it at the time. And uh, uh, we also I, – I'll never forget 2019 also uh, when we were talking about the Ole Miss offense and how that will not work at all in the SEC and the things that were said to us and about us and look at what's happening now. But either way, um, no, I, I do agree. And, yeah, they recruited pretty well. Their recruiting class is pretty good. It's better Aver- than I thought. He's done better in that regard. I'll give him that. Got a pretty good staff. Uh, does Mike Leach for sure. But, uh, man, when you've got people telling me that, oh, yeah, it's a nine-win football team next year, where do those nine wins come from? Where are they coming from? Because I don't think the best teams in the SEC are going to get beat with regularity by this offense. And if you're asking for evolution at this point in this guy's life, I think you're wrong. I mean, major evolution, that man tended to Key West, right? <laughs> he's, not, he's not that young. So I agree, and it's fascinating because how important, no matter the record, no matter the teams, how important is that Egg Bowl become in Oxford? He's got to win it. I mean, it, you, you want to talk about a pivotal season for Lane Kiffin. That's going to cause problems for him in year four. If they're okay, like there's seven and four, uh, eight and three, something like that, and he goes in there and he doesn't win that, that's – no matter what he does next year, that's going to cause some serious issues minus him being like 11 and 0 going into that game. Yeah, the, they have to be more consistent, and he has to beat Ole Miss. If they have a if they beat Texas A and M again or whatever, but lose at Arizona, they play at Arizona next year, who's awful. But if that's the kind of season they have, and he loses to Ole Miss again, people will call for his head. They will. They will. Uh, there will be pressure. But the thing is, I think that while John Cohen, we've talked about this before, but while John Cohen has apparently a great relationship with university leadership. You're going to let a guy fire two football coaches and hire a third? I think he's tied to Mike Leach. He should be if he's not. And, again, if they lose to Arizona and, and lose to Ole Miss again or, or go 7-5 and five and, you know, they break passing records because they don't have any decent quarterback history until Dak Prescott at the school and that leads to no, no increase in wins or anything like that, and they get beat in the Egg Bowl, there's going to be pressure that they probably can't overcome. Seriously, I think it's going to be that bad if they lose to Ole Miss again. No baseball national championship saves you from Egg Bowl losses. That's the most important thing there, regardless of what some people try to say. I don't know much about state situation from an administrative perspective, but I do know two things. One, that president and chancellor, I think he's good at his job. I think he hates losing to Ole Miss. And the other part of it is just you hit on, you don't get three football coaches most of the time. You get two to get it right, and, like, someone else is hiring that third, and I'm I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. But, again, if they go nine and three next year and they beat Ole Miss, he probably bought himself two and a half more years of capital without really having to sweat things. And they very well could. I'm not saying this is a done deal. It's just fascinating because I find the ceiling to be uh, 
a little bit lower, but I don't know. I mean, the other aspect of it is, is, you know, you get Rodgers a third year in the system. There's also a world next year. I know he's not the greatest arm talent, but for what Leach asked him to do, in that scene and in that perspective, there's also a world where he's just kind of all world and they go nine and three, right? I don't think they can go 10 and two or something like that. But like there is some upside to him. I think he's a, top, oh, yeah. I think he's limited talent wise, but like, you know, that's kind of what Mike Leach does. Like you get another kid and like you get him three years in, it's like, I right, you could kind of get it. But again, what is the ceiling of that year after year after year, I guess. The thing with Rogers this year, he got better at timing and accuracy. He, I mean, he knew exactly where his guys were going to be, and he delivered them the football accurately and on Robotic time. Robotic at times, you could tell. Yeah, especially, I mean, that Auburn game. God, if you, if you ever get bored, watch Will Rogers against Auburn in the second half. Surgical is what he was. Just surgical. Uh, he did get better as the year went on. Absolutely, he got better as the year went on. But the problem is, what the hell happened in the Egg Bowl and what happened in the Liberty Bowl? What happened in those two games? You progress so much. You go to Fayetteville and you play well, but you lose because your kicker in a three-point game misses three field goals. But you have the comeback against Auburn. You get better and you get better and you get better and you break passing records and the offense is humming and then you play Ole Miss. And what happened? And then you play a bad Texas Tech team without your tackles that you're losing anyway. And what happened? So there, there's, there's room for great optimism, but – that's what I keep going back to. That's what I keep going back to is what happened. Ah, uh, well, you know, you had some opt-outs. Not on offense because that's what you're going to be without. It's not like those guys couldn't play in the game but will be back next year. Charles Cross chose to not play in the game because he will not be back next year. So what are you going to do there? If they can't protect him, nothing else matters. Uh, he did get better, though, and they've got some good wide receivers, but Polk, the, the best one's gone. We'll see, and uh, bless this young man, Malik Heath, after uh, his, his car accident, um, if he can return. I, I haven't heard any reason to think that he won't, but, uh, I mean, there's, they're probably second most talented receiver anyway. So it's not as peachy as it will be spun this offseason. How much more fun is this shit, though, than – say the 2019 season no, I, I mean it was a sinking ship more headers on the way out like that was so boring like it, it, bad, good bad or indifferent this is so much more compelling to cover you've been in it the whole time and you're still in Mississippi like how much more fun is it walking into the radio show every day because there were days two years ago where Ole Miss was clearly going five and seven or four and eight and state was seven and five or whatever it is but they hated their coach where it's like what are we talking about? I know they have games, but like we, it just felt very boring to me. This seems so much more fun for better or for worse. It is a lot more fun. I mean, I almost love the inconsistency with, with Mike Leach too. I mean, you never know what you're going to get. I don't have an emotional connection to them. I mean, I, I hate to say this to a podcast with Ole Miss fan listeners, but I would prefer Mississippi state win as many games as possible because that helps me a lot. Right. And it makes it, that makes everything easier for me if they win a bunch. But I, without emotional investment, it is kind of fun to have the unpredictable nature of his teams because my God, they lose games or play poorly in games that they have no business being in or playing well in, and yet they go to College Station and win. They're down twenty-eight to three and win. What the hell is that? It's Mike Leach, and it's entertaining if nothing else. And I meant the state as a whole, too. Like, Lane Kiffin, they may suck next year, but this entire storyline is just fascinating to where, like, 
I, I didn't have a great off season with the whole Mississippi made thing. It just did not make for compelling content. Like this entire state just seems a lot more fun. Well, I'm glad we solved college football, dude. This was a lot of fun before we end up staying all night. Was is it past your son's bedtime? I hope he's been asleep for a while. Oh, he's uh, he's been asleep since about seven. Oh no! Well, we put him in bed and he just like talks to himself and stuff in there and play. We have a bunch of stuffed animals in there, and he'll play around for like an hour before he falls asleep. But we started recording as I could still hear him in the other room, so he should be asleep now. I don't hear him anymore. Me and your son sleep the same way. That's great to hear, Michael. Borges. You play with your stuffed animals? Yeah, yeah, tons of stuffed animals <laughs> back here. I, I appreciate the time, dude. This was awesome. We'll check in, of course, I'm sure, again soon. I'm actually curious. I'll set the over-under. Will this be a basketball or a baseball check-in next time? Because it, uh, it sounds like – It won't like be basketball. Might... Well, hey, you know, Ole Miss almost won in a game last night that was absolutely horrendous. State's okay. I would actually bet money on it being a baseball check-in. But we will uh, – Like well, even I... before the season starts because there's nothing uh, – with all due respect to Kermit Davis, there is nothing compelling at all about his program right now. Nothing. It's tough, and he looks unwell, honestly, about it. He looks very frustrated on a day-in and day-out basis. But we'll check in. I would be, too. Taking a, taking a three-point shot with 12 seconds left and a tie game with the shot clock off would make me quit my job if I were him. He's got more patience than me because I would have walked off the court, not even coached overtime. I know they're D1 basketball players, and like, because my girlfriend who doesn't know anything about sports, God bless her. We were watching the end of that game at her apartment last night. She's like, Why did they do that? The game was tied. And I was like, Your guess is as good as mine, but also they had no guards on the floor. I mean, you lose Joyner. Uh, what's his face got hurt to where, like, I'm not excusing it. You're a Division one basketball player at the same time. When you don't have guards that can handle the ball, utter chaos ensues. And I think that's a pretty good example of that. So uh, yeah. we'll, uh, with that being said, sounds like we'll check in before opening day, dude. Check them out. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi 3 to 6 every day, uh, Monday through Friday. YouTube show in the morning. I appreciate it, dude. We'll watch you again soon. Anytime, man. That's going to do it for us today. That's our show. I appreciate you guys chiming in, tuning in as always chiming in. That would be hard to do on a podcast, but um, thanks for uh, making us a part of your day. I appreciate it. Looking forward to 2022 and uh, doing some different things with the podcast and the newsletter. So hope everybody had a wonderful week. We'll be back at it with probably a hoops check-in and something else on Sunday. And then uh, I've actually got a couple wild card guests I've got uh, in the works for next week, hopefully. So I think you guys will enjoy it, but uh, y'all have a great weekend and we will catch you on Sunday.